Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhered Apologetics. Uh, today I'm here with Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. Really um, excited to have this conversation. She's a professor, she's an author, she's done all kinds of really cool, fancy things. Uh, today we're going to be talking about representing Christ in contemporary issues. Uh, really ex excited to talk with Dr. Pryor about this just because, from what I've seen, she's very poised. Like, if there's like a person you want to talk to about these like, scary questions about like politics or race or stuff, she's the person I feel like. I'd want to talk to you about this. So, Dr. Pryor, welcome. How are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm glad you joined. I'm really looking forward to this conversation as always. Uh, welcome everyone who's listening. So, in a broad sense, if someone doesn't know who you are, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Sure. I am most known as an English professor and writer. I write most often about literary topics, but I also do a lot of cultural engagement. Um, I've been a, I was a professor at Liberty University for 21 years. Now I'm a research professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so kind of living in that evangelical space, the conservative Christian space, you know, we're, you know, we are interested in issues and topics. And so uh, cultural engagement has become another interest of mine, along with my, what remains my first love, which is literature. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious because obviously you do a lot of work in cultural engagement now, you know, you're a big face, you're on, I saw you on CNN with all the Liberty stuff that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit as we get towards the end here, but um, have you found like the two fields that you're interested in, cultural engagement and like English, have you found them like interwoven into each other? That's a really good question because I guess maybe at first they wouldn't seem like they would be connected. But what I love about literature, besides just the sheer joy of reading well-written words and getting lost in, in uh, interesting stories, is the fact that great literature has so much to teach us about life today. Uh, there's so much about human nature and human relationships and the issues that all human beings and all times and places face. And so to me, reading about literature, teaching literature um, is an exercise in learning how to live better today. And so, of course, I naturally want to apply that to the issues that we're wrestling with today. So we're going to kind of dive into a little bit of these like scary, I, I don't like to talk about these issues, which is I'm, I'm glad you're here because it seems like, you know, no matter what you say, someone's going to be mad at you. Um, but, so we're going to go into some of the issues uh, in a second here. But b before we get into some of the specific things, could you just talk a little bit like in a broad sense, obviously you, you co-authored a book about cultural engagement and you, you have a lot of expertise in these issues. Can you talk a little bit about like as a Christian, when we go into these like divisive issues, that are usually in politics. How, what are some like kind of like general guidelines that you have for going through them? Yeah, well, so I would not consider myself an expert in uh, most of these issues. There are a couple of issues I think that I've kind of uh, become an expert in just because of my my passion and interest and experience. But so so I think that's that's a big thing that we have to acknowledge from the beginning is that most of us don't know much about most things. Mm. We do have our passions, we do have our interests, but for me, what cu what cuts across all of the issues and what we tried to capture um, in cultural engagement is where we collected opinions uh, from experts across uh, the spectrum um, from different uh, Christian uh, traditions um, is, is not just what we think about issues, but how we think about them. Um, 
And so regardless of the issue, there are a number of things that we, and we, I talk about some of this in the, in the book, another, the, a number of commitments that we should have. And that should be, first of all, to listen to the experts, listen to those who know more than we do, and also to listen to those who are most affected by these issues and who, um, whose experience outpaces our own, uh, because there's so many of these issues that do touch um, the lives of actual people that um, that we can think theoretically about, but we don't know how they affect those people. But also to keep in mind the principles of truth that don't change, um, that we find in scripture. Uh, scripture has many principles that we can apply um, to these issues, and um, but, we, but not necessarily specifics on each issue. So it's really, in some, um, it's more about how we talk about these issues than what we believe. Mm. Thank you. So I think one point that I want to maybe bring up a little bit more that you brought up, which is really interesting to me, is the importance of listening. Because mm-hmm. I think we're in this like kind of like era where everyone's like talking at each other. We all have our talking points and no one's really actually trying to have a conversation. So can you just talk a little bit about like how you think listening plays an important role in these kind of like big conversations that we're having? It is so crucial. And it doesn't mean that we have to change our, um, what we believe, you know, the, the principles that we believe in, the truths that we believe in, but it can change how we communicate those truths. Or even more importantly, it can change, we, we can actually try to accommodate some aspects of, of other people's experience within that truth. So for example, um, just to, to use a topic that's you know, that I have a lot of interest and um, passion about, that's abortion. Mm. Um, I, you know, I have been a pro-life activist and advocate for many, many years, um, and I have not changed my views on abortion at all, but I have changed a great deal about how I talk about it, how I think about it, what I think about policies, because I have spent so much time talking to the men and women who've been involved in the decision, whose whose lives have... um, been affected by making that decision. Uh, And so I just never speak to a room of people without thinking and knowing that statistically speaking, there's probably someone in that room who's had an abortion, who's hurting. Um, And there are those who perhaps don't agree with me. And I need to be able to listen to their arguments, consider their arguments, and, and still understand how my principle of uh, valuing life can accommodate even an opposing argument. Mm. That's really good. So let's talk about some of these like kind of issues that we encounter as Christians or, you know, we're getting into another election cycle. So, you know, all these things are going to be coming more and more over these next uh, couple of months. Um, So the first thing I want to talk to you a little bit about like this idea of immigration, because, you know, you have kind of like the way I see it often is you have kind of like the view that most people are like, oh, all Christians believe this. And it's typically some sort of like lining up with like the conservative evangelical, like, and that's kind of how people see Christians. Um, but I'm curious, like when we look at a topic like immigration, we're in with all these things, we're really dealing with people. Um, but how do we look at this idea of immigration from a biblical perspective? Hmm. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about immigrants, about um, sojourners, about aliens. In fact, um, you know, we as believers are actually aliens in this world. Um, And so we, you know, we don't think about this a lot, but we actually hold the same position in this created world um, 
in relationship to the new heaven and earth that we will go to someday. And so that should flavor everything that we think about uh, immigration, regardless of the particular policies um, that we might think are most um, appropriate for a time, we have to understand how those policies affect all of the people who are involved. Um, as someone who doesn't live, for example, near uh, near a border, um, I need to listen to those who whose lives are being affected um, by people crossing illegally. But we also need to listen to the people who who are being separated from their children, who are trying to escape the poverty and crime in other countries that sometimes, very often, our own um, national policies have helped to perpetuate. So it's it's complicated, but it's it that's the whole point. Is, is these aren't the kinds of things that can be captured in a tweet or a soundbite. Um, and we need to, if we're going to really wrestle with this issue and take a position, we need to be informed about it. Um, and that requires a lot of humility. It requires humility just to admit that we don't know what the best solution is or that there are others who need to, um, that we need to listen to and who know a lot more than we do. So humility might be the first, <laughs> the first virtue we want to think about. Yeah, I think humility is so important realizing that we're no better than anyone else. Um, so I'm curious, like we have this like, almost a stigma um, regarding immigration we'll have, you know, people, I don't want my hope through all this, we don't ostracize anyone, but we'll have more people who lean more conservative and, you know, you have some sort of like close the borders or strict immigration or something like that. And then you have people on more on a liberal side that maybe will say that these Christians are actually unchristian um, in their policies or what they believe about these things like immigration. So it's a very like, tricky water to navigate. So I'm curious, like, how do we navigate this as Christians? Like, how can we be biblical and love everyone, um, but at the same time, you know, have a, a prudent mind in topics like this? I think we have to step back and look at the big picture and, and realize that, first of all, as if, if we are Christians, um, what we say and what we believe about our fellow brothers and sisters um, has to apply to all Christians in all times and all places. Uh, we often think that um, the only thing that measures uh, the, the belief and the commitment um, of a Christian is what how we would measure a 21st century Christian in America. And we are not all of the Christians in the world. And so we really have to think in some respects more broadly um, in terms of making judgments about fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, and we also have to think about how, you know, I, I guess I like to use the um, the famous metaphor of, of the blind men who are all uh, talking about an elephant because they're touching a different part of the elephant. Um, and, you know, we are all just sort of seeing the thing that's closest to us or the thing that we know about. Um, so if an issue like immigration is the elephant, some of us are, you know, we have our hand on the trunk. Some of us have our hand on the elephant's tail, some on the leg, some on the ear. And so because we are so limited, unless we, you know, are a rare person who's who works and lives and breathes these issues, um, we actually are only seeing a small fraction of it. And again, that goes back to the humility to realize that, you know, maybe we can talk about the ear of the elephant, um, but that's not the entire elephant. And so the humility requires us to listen um, to those who have different points of view and, and, and hope that we can all work together um, to try to understand how biblical principles apply to these big issues today. 
Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm kind of picking up is we just starting to get to go through some of these issues. Is one the idea of humility, and one and second the idea of having listening. I think that's two super important things here. And as we go into this kind of second issue that we've seen um, with some of the tragedies and injustices very recently, um, we have this whole issue of racism that's kind of coming up again. Um, it's kind of been building, building up, and here we are. And there's all kinds of terrible things going on and there are all kinds of perspectives on these things. And it just seems like people are so entrenched into their beliefs, whatever they may be on this topic. Like as Christians, how can we look at this idea of racism, especially regarding to the whole Black Lives Matter movement right now? Like how do we navigate this as Christians? Well, again, it certainly does begin with listening and, mm-hmm. and and the humility and recognizing that our own experiences are so limited. Um, in listening and getting to know too, and getting to know my own black neighbors, for example, I have learned things that I never knew growing up. Um, that I never learned in school about um, their lives and what they what they themselves, who are not that old, experienced in going to a segregated school or being um, denied the use of of bathrooms, um, even though those things are, you know, illegal now, those those approaches, that doesn't mean that those early experiences in their lives haven't shaped them forever and shaped them the way that the way that they view the world or and and sort of the, the fear that they might always have. Um, and so we just need to to listen um, and and strive really, again, for virtue. That's something I know I keep talking about, but um, in my book on reading well, I actually examined um, the issue, the virtue of justice in the context of the French Revolution, um, which Charles Dickens wrote about in his book, his great novel, A Tale of Two Cities. And he was actually writing that novel because his country, England, was living through a time in which he feared that the oppressed were going to overthrow those in power and commit the same sort of error that we saw in the French Revolution, where instead of correcting an injustice, um, a response caused further injustice. Um, So we can never correct a wrong by doing wrong. Um, And that applies to all of us. And that is the hardest thing to do. So we need to stop pointing fingers at either side of of the racial issue or the protest issue and just make sure that we ourselves and those that we can, whose lives we can speak into um, are not committing wrong in order to correct someone else's wrong. Thank you for the insightful answer. I, one kind of follow-up question I have as we go through this is, I think for a lot of Christians, um, they may feel kind of like stuck as we go through this issue. Like on one side, we'll have some more people who are conservative people that may be very, very anti. Um, they're not obviously racist, but they're very anti this movement because of whatever reasons, whether it's because of, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And we have other people who, I have a lot of friends who aren't Christians and they'll kind of look at these movements and they'll see Christians either be stuck in the middle or on the opposite side. And they'll just see like, aren't you guys Christians? Like, don't you believe that you're supposed to love everyone and love your neighbor as yourself? Um, so for the Christian who feels kind of like stuck in th- this issue, what would you kind of give like practically to like recommend, like how can they kind of navigate uh, th- this challenging dialogue? Hmm. Well, I, th- I think uh, one way that we can we can do that is really to model it in our own personal relationships. Um, and so 
so when people say something and, and, and maybe it offends you or you don't understand it or it surprises you, um, instead of attacking back, you can say, oh, why, why would you say that? Or what makes you say that? Or why do you think that? Um, so oftentimes we all are guilty of holding um, ideas and beliefs that we haven't examined for ourselves. And so um, simply being asked to examine an assumption or a belief um, because we haven't done that ourselves can be really helpful in processing these ideas and exploring them. And so demonstrating in our own lives the kinds of questions that we should be asking ourselves and asking each other um, in love and, and care uh, is, is excellent. And even doing the same thing on social media. Social media is a place where so much of this polarization tends to increase because it's so easy to lash out. Um, but we can actually, I think, use the power of social media for good by modeling and employing it in a way that also does the same thing by asking questions, um, saying, you know, what, why do, what makes you say that or what led you to that conclusion? Um, and every time we're on social media, no matter how big or how small our platforms are, we know that there are some other people who are watching and that kind of interaction that we can model um, can be pow a powerful influence because we all imitate our communities. Um, we are formed by our communities. That's how we're made. Um, we're made for community and in community. And so we can actually, maybe I'm being too optimistic here, but I feel like we can change even our close communities by interacting in ways that change the way other people interact. I've seen it happen on my social media. I have had people testify that that's what's ha what's happen what happens um, when I host discussions on on Facebook or Twitter. I'm not perfect at it, but it's something I think we could all do uh, do more because we are being formed by these various forms of media, um, and we need to be aware of that. And again, just in our own way of thinking, our own posture toward other people, we can model um, and teach others to uh, to have more dialogue and to do more listening. Yeah, I think that our social media platforms can be so powerful, like whether it's like five followers or 500,000, like there's going to be people who are following or not watching these conversations and they're like, you may be the only Christian they see that day, so to speak, on social media. And I agree with you. It's so important. I think that kind of translates a little bit into this next topic I wanted to talk a little, a little bit about with you is this idea of politics. I mean, obviously we're coming into an election cycle and it's going to be intriguing um, with what's going to happen and people are going to be divided and it's going to be a challenge. So for the Christians, like, how do you recommend like, with using with social media, like how do we use our social media in terms of politics? I mean, I've noticed that I have friends on Instagram that are all my friends from like high school and college. They're a lot more liberal. And I have my friends from adulthood. Um, I mean, I'm only 20, but more like my family friends and they're very conservative and you see different angles coming at it on politics. But like for the Christian, like how do we represent Christ in our, in our politics and in our social media? Well, I think um, the most important thing is to remember that, um, that politics is is just um, a means. Um, it, it, it's not the end in itself. It's something that is a, it's a tool, it's a gift, 
Our votes are, are a gift that we have um, by uh, being it, citizens in this country. And we don't want to squander that. But we again, we have to understand that we are aliens in this land and we have to be responsible stewards of, of our vote and our voice. Um, but I think that we have, I mean, there's been a lot written on this. It's something that I've, I've uh, been examining for myself in the, in the past uh, few years. Um, we have really come to a place in the American church where we have allowed politics to define us more than Christian um, commitment and belief and brotherhood and sisterhood to define us. And that, that no matter what, who the, who the candidates are or what the issues of the day are, that actually is, is wrong. And I think that the church is being judged for that. Um, we cannot equate our, um, our faith with a party. Um, while at the same time, we certainly do want to vote for candidates who are going to to um, to provide uh, a community that we think will allow more for human flourishing. And, and of course, God designed us a certain way so that we will be more, it will tend more toward flourishing when we uphold his, um, his design and his principles than we won't. And that is important. But again, we have to look to history and realize that, that there ha have been and continue to be Christians who live in all kinds of political circumstances and uh, and um, got under certain, all kinds of governments and the the way that they behave and act in the under those governments under whatever constraints they are living in that does not define their faith um, we are to work out our faith in fear and trembling and uh, we need we will be doing that in this election just as we have have done um, and Really, it's it's if we are if we are putting politics above Christ and the church, um, then uh, then God is not going to be happy with that. I think we're seeing the fruit of that those errors right now. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. I saw a, a poll on Twitter. I think it was a few days a week ago, and it was like for Christians, is like, would you rather have an atheist agree with you more in your politics or in your religion? And I saw like I think it was like a third of the people voted politics and i was very very surprised by that um so we live in an age where obviously we might be someone um who's posting a lot about politics or you may know someone that's posting and all they're a christian and all it is is politics 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 um how do we navigate that like where do you think like in terms of being a christian and posting things about whether it's like a political person we support or things like that like is there a line that we shouldn't cross like is it okay to be posting all these things that are very politically charged when we're christians hmm. that's a really good question and i think um i think it needs to be answered um in terms of our own uh vocations and our own callings um god puts us in in places and posi positions in life and th and th that those positions and places can change in our own lifetimes and they also differ from one another and so obviously god has um called certain people to the political realm and that's their life and um that, that's going to be you know more their mission and again all living in a democracy we all get to vote and speak up for the candidates that we support and 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 so that also is part of our calling because God put us here where we have that freedom. But I think what we need to think about is um, is the whole picture that we pre we're presenting. Are we presenting a picture when we promote a candidate? Um, are we doing it to the extent that people have no idea where we're placing our hope? 
Um, are we placing our hope in a political system or in a candidate or in, um, you know, in some policies? Um, it's wonderful to advocate for those. I, I'm a person who has been most of my life very political and very much an advocate. I'm, I'm tempering that now because I'm seeing where it has taken us. Um, I want people to see that I put my hope in Christ no matter who wins and that my first love is not um, the government, but the church. Um, and um, and I also want to, to promote, um, I want to direct people to the goodness of God. And so that means not just posting um, negative and polarizing and condemnatory things, but posting things that point out that, that help people to re remind people that we are made in God's image and we're made for his glory and that his creation is good. And so therefore, when people can take delight in something funny or something beautiful or something artistic, um, and again, that's part of my calling because that's those are the kinds of things that I teach. Um, but I want to I want to fulfill that calling that God has placed on my life, even in, in my social media and my and the things that I advocate for. I think that's so good what you bring up. You brought a couple of times now um, in our social media and in our lives. We should really be showing where we put our hope, and that, that's in Jesus. Um, a powerful thing. I think that another thing that is going to come up as we talk about these things is this idea, like, how do we interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, you know, we have all these different beliefs. Obviously, hopefully, Christianity comes at the core of what we believe, but then we have all these things that, like, kind of come out of that. So, as, as Christians, like, how do we do these day-to-day -day interactions when these, like, topics come up, like racism or immigration or politics, things like that? What are some of, like, the general tips you give for someone in the day-to-day -day engagements with maybe people they don't agree with. Yeah, so it, it goes back again, I think, to not just what we say, but how we say it. Um, I am a huge advocate for character formation. Um, and I think that our character speaks more than our positions and policies do. Um, I actually had an, an, an interaction on social media recently with someone who disagrees with me very profoundly on a very important issue. Um, and I believe that what he advocates is, um, is destructive and sinful and possibly even demonic um, in, in its depth. Yet, uh, when we interacted on social media, he responded to me in a positive way and said that he, that uh, it is my my gentle spirit um, causes him to trust me and listen to me regardless of what my my views are. And I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, um, but that was a, a real encouragement to me because I was you know really kind of correcting him gently on his view, and he he. You know, he doesn't agree with me, but he received it because of, of the spirit that he saw in me. And um, it is not we have to remember um, as we interact with people and share the gospel and display the gospel in our lives and our character that we don't save people. We point people to Christ. And I think a lot of people in their interactions um, are not pointing people to Christ because they are demonstrating the opposite of Christ. Um, so more than what we say, it's who we reflect and how we say it. 
That's so good. I, you know, as we go through these topics, we see some like similar themes come up and up again. Um, and one of these is just pointing people to Christ. Um, we're going to go to, through one more of these kind of general, like scary topics, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know, if you general questions and if anyone has listening has questions for dr Pryor, um, feel free to ask them and we'll get to hopefully a couple of them on the way out um but let's talk about scandal for a little bit obviously you know you, you were a liberty professor for over two decades i'm a liberty student now so we both have you obviously a lot more than i do we just kind of grasp all the really tragic things going on um so we have like events like what's happening right now with the that former president of liberty it can almost make Christians like it puts us in a bad light almost. So like when we have these like scandals and people who are Christian or say that they're Christians and they do things that don't represent Christ, like how do we get through this as Christians? How can we show non-believers that there's more to Christianity than just people who may be hypocritical in their beliefs? Yeah, that's a you know, that's a really hard question to answer because there are there, you know, there are a couple things that are sort of equally true, and they are that when when people say they believe something and then their lives demonstrate they don't believe that, that does cause people to question that professed belief. And that's just, that's, that's true. There's no way around that. And, you know, we all do that in some degree every day, even as we interact in unchristlike ways. But of course this, you know, when someone lives a long lifestyle that is so flagrantly opposed to, um, not only things they have professed to believe, but also things that they have um, advocated for um, in in policy and in public, um, while not believing those things at all, um, that does put shame on the church and on the name of Christ. Um, but on the other hand, um, that also points to why we need Christ. Um, and it also reminds us, even if it in a painful way, um, that sin is very real. Its power is very destructive. We need to guard ourselves um, and we need to guard one another. We need to hold one another accountable in love. I think, you know, I, I have this line in my book on reading well um, about, uh, I don't remember which uh, chapter it was in, but it was about being chastened by the Lord. Um, there's only one thing worse than being chastened by God, and it's not being chastened by God. Um, and that's true of one another, too. If, if I don't love you enough to intervene in your life and to lovingly at least try to correct you, um, then I, I don't love you very much at all. And so there's a lot that we can learn from this really tragic thing. Um, and it's very, very sad and it's hurt a lot of people. Um, but let's take a lesson from it and let's let us make sure that we do we hold one another accountable and that we don't think that we are incapable of falling into the same kind of sin that someone else has because sin is that powerful and Satan is that um, pleased when um, when he sees such shame on the name of Christ. It's so helpful, I think, in times like this, you kind of alluded to this, to remember when someone goes down that it's easy to, like, maybe point the finger or blame them. But at the same time, I think it's so important to remember, like, as Christians, like, we believe in our sin. We realize that we may have not done this certain specific thing, but we're no better than that person. They may have done this, but we have this other thing that we're maybe struggling with. And I think mm -hmm. that's so important to remember in times like this. So kind of 
a few like general questions here as we kind of get away from some specific issues. What do you think are some of the common mistakes Christians make when we're engaging in culture? And as we go through some of these big topics that we were talking about, like what are some common mistakes that you think Christians make in their engagements? I think uh, some common mistakes are, again, going back to things I've said earlier, is not having the humility to know what we don't know um, and to assume that because we read, you know, a Facebook post or follow someone on Twitter who tweeted something, um, that that's the whole story. I think, you know, we, we are living in a time where that is actually becoming more and more true. It's actually, um, you know, uh, there's a, a, a great writer named James Sire who has a book called The Dark the dark age, I think it's, 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 it's part of its title. Um, and he talks about how we are in such um, an information, uh, such, we, we are so overcome with so much information that, you know, more than we can take in, more than we can evaluate well, that it's very similar to being in the dark ages of, of the ancient world. Um, we have too much information, so therefore we are just as unenlightened as as our um, pre-literate um, ancestors were. So recognizing that, recognizing that that we have too much information to be able to evaluate everything well, um, and also to to recognize that we are also being played. Um, digital media is being used to polarize us. Um, by nefarious uh, forces. Um, there's a lot of, you know, that has a research that's been done on this that, um, you know, that, that, that the algorithms are all designed to make us be, go even more to whatever side we would tend to. And we have to resist that. Um, so again, we have to, to be humble enough to know what we don't know. We have to realize that, um, that that we are being polarized, we are being overcome with information, um, and that no matter where we are or what the issue is, um, it's still our character and our integrity that matters the most. And that is what's going to help us to understand the issues. And that's what's going to help us to, um, to help others know the issues better. And again, ultimately, that's the thing that's going to point to Christ. Um, and so maybe we just all need to kind of pick or let us be called to the issues that we're most passionate about. I know that's been true in my life. There are just a couple that, you know, that, um, that I, I feel like God has just, you know, pulled me toward. Um, and it's tempting to want to comment on everything. Um, but I think that can be really more destructive. Um, so mm -hmm. we can, you know, I guess the expression is stay in your lane. You know, we can all have a few different lanes and, and develop those lanes. Um, but we're, we're, God, God created a lot of different people uh, who are called <laughs> yeah. to different things and, and let, uh, let other people fulfill their, their callings while we fulfill ours. And that's how we glorify God together, I think. Mm, yeah, that's really good. Um, so let's kind of throw this on the opposite end now. Instead of talking about all the dumb, bad things Christians do, <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about, like, what do you see – um, maybe it's online or in person that Christians do well in kind of like topics like this and kind of like an encouragement to Christians, like keep doing this. This is good. 
Um, you know, I'm seeing, I, I, I think I, I grew up in, I'm old enough where I remember uh, a lot more of the, of the separatism that you would see with Christians of kind of, you know, not participating in this or that or denouncing this part of culture or not going to movies or, I mean, I didn't grow up in that kind of home, but I certainly lived around a lot of those Christians. And so I'm encouraged, you know, in the past couple of decades that we see more Christians truly engaging the culture. Uh, we, we actually, you know, I'll quote my good friend Greg Thornbury, who's who uh, often will say, "Well, you, you really can't engage the culture because we are, you know, breathing the culture. You can't. We, we, to be a human being is to be in culture, and we can't just decide, stand outside of it." Um, so, so Christians are being more engaged uh, in in the culture, but also are creating culture more, creating art and culture in movies and um, and and you know, being involved in social media, whatever it might be, um, I'm encouraged that I see more Christians sort of taking the lead um, in these areas uh, and rather than being reactionary and responding to everything, which is, I think is more characteristic of, of when I was growing up and a young adult, Christians were like reacting to everything and responding to everything. Um, maybe we can just kind of take the lead uh, as, as, as we are the people who are best equipped to do that and sort of model. Um, I mean, we live in a, in a diverse culture um, and we have, you know, we, we are not a Christian culture. And so we have to recognize that, but we can gloriously and beautifully model what God has called us to be in our, in our, um, families and our marriages and our schools as students as friends um and i think i see christians you know more christians who understand that better these days hmm. yeah for sure uh, we'll go to one more question here and i saw one in the live chat we'll hit a couple more if anyone else has questions um for a christian who is listening to this and feels kind of maybe convicted or is curious like what's like one or two things that we can focus on as christians as we look at this big topic of culture engagement and how we can improve um yeah well i guess i've been talking about social media a lot because i engage in it a lot myself so um and most people are, you know, especially young people are on some form of social media. And so I, I would say just don't ever underestimate the power that social media has for good or for ill and determine um, by the grace of God and under his leading and direction to use it for good, not just in what you say or what you show or display in it, but how how you engage with other people. Um, it really is kind of a mission field. And as a matter of fact, um, I, I think that in, 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 in our schools and in our seminaries and in our training of pastors and missionaries, I actually have think that we need to treat the area of social media like a mission field. Um, not that, you know, of course we can share the gospel there and treat it in that way, respect, but we can actually reach people in an apologetics way as, as you are doing um, to, to draw them to the truths of scripture and the flourishing um, that God wants for us all. And so I guess I would just say, let's, let's treat the areas of social media like a mission field and go out. The harvest is ripe. Yeah, that's a great analogy um, to put it here. Uh, we have one question I think is a really good question um, that might be interesting. It's from Dark Calculus. He says, we have lots of examples in scriptures, um, good ones to emulate, bad ones to avoid. Uh, which biblical figures give us examples on how to deal with cultural issues? Hmm. 
Wow. I mean, there are a lot and that makes it tricky because there are, you know, there are some pretty um, dire warnings in the Old Testament of, uh, you know, of, of doing things, uh, maybe doing things, the things that you think are right, but in the wrong way, in a way that goes against how God has um, has instructed us. And I think that that gives us a good example. We have lots of examples of of that in, in the Old Testament, especially. Um, and I think that what we see across the board is that in different times and places and settings, God does do things differently. He doesn't use, you know, God is creative. He doesn't use the same um, same plan or same formula every time. Uh, one of my favorite examples is um, Balaam the ass delivering the truth of God. Um, I think I think we're living in a time in our culture where we can look around and we can see people who are not believers delivering truth. Um, you know, in the recent scandal that we were just talking about, um, Larry Flint, the publisher of you know a pornographic publication, wrote a, a an essay um, just the other day that made headlines around the world. You know, showing the failure and hypocrisy of of a Christian leader. Um, now he's not a believer, and he didn't you know he didn't quite get the entire um, you know uh, teaching of Scripture, but he was able to point out a lot of truth that many believers have been blind to. Um, and so we need to realize that if, you know, the rocks will cry out and so will the donkeys of the world if Christians are not proclaiming the truth that we should be proclaiming. Um, and so, as Augustine said, um, all truth is God's truth. And in these days, I think we're finding God's truth in a lot of uh, um, unusual places because maybe the church isn't doing a good enough job of proclaiming it. Yeah, so I appreciate so much all of your insights as you kind of navigated through some of these very difficult issues in just a very short amount of time. Um, <laughs> as we wrap things up here, is there any kind of like closing thoughts, things we didn't get to that you want to bring up before we end things here? Um, yeah, I guess I'll just, I'll just hammer home the point about virtue. Um, there are lots of different virtue, virtues, but, um, in essence, virtue is the moderation between an extreme of excess and an extreme of, defi of deficiency. And so we might strive to be courageous, which is good. Uh, if we, if we don't have enough courage, we're cowards, but it, actually if we have too, if we use too much, then we actually become reckless. So every time we want to do a good thing or act in a good way, um, we need to think about um, about being neither excessive nor deficient in it, because we can we can cause harm trying to do good um, if we if we don't um, if we don't do it the right way. So strive for that that virtuous mean uh, or you know the 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 moderation that Paul admonished us to strive for, um, to be reasonable with all men. Mm. There's actually a line. There was one more question that I missed uh, before. <laughs> so I guess we'll have the kind of like last thoughts, like to be the second to last thoughts, I guess. Um, a question from Kathleen Cantwell uh, it says, um, any counsel on how to proceed with what seems like impossible choices in this election? What are some viable resources in addition to scripture to help me uh, be informed? Hmm. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's a complicated question. I, yeah. I, you know, I do think, you know, I understand that uh, 
politics is the art of compromise. And I understand many people, you know, want to go that route. And that's sort of how we got where we are with, you know, I think what I would, I'm, you know, I've been on the record as saying to, to um, candidates who, to me as a Christian are, are unacceptable. Um, and I think we've been, um, you know, we, we, I think we just, we really do have to go before the Lord and um, be convicted um, by the Holy Spirit about how we should vote. Um, and uh, for me, that means voting for a person that I think is actually um, qualified, uh, and that is neither of the two party candidates. Uh, so I'll vote for a third party or write-in candidate um, because I'm convicted that we are in this place because we have settled um, for too little for too long. And but on the other hand, I think again we have to if we are Christians, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe in his counsel and teaching. And so we have to respect um, how other people might at arrive, arrive at a different decision, even if we disagree with it. And that's a good example for us to follow uh, with a number of things that, that scripture doesn't have very clear commands about uh, in terms of our behavior and our morality. Um, so I guess that's what I'll close on. <laughs> I don't know if that answers the question. I think you did. I mean, it's a pretty difficult question to throw at you there. So I appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, Dr. Pryor, really appreciated your time. It's been a really insightful conversation. So much to learn um, from you and your resources. There's a link in the description for anyone to her website. You can follow uh, Dr. Pryor's work and all the amazing stuff there. Um, Dr. Pryor, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated this conversation. Well, thank you for such excellent questions, and I hope you have a, a good semester um, and in school. Thank you, and thanks for tuning in, everyone. As always, this is here in Apologetics. Really hope you enjoyed the conversation. You be sure to subscribe, whether it's via podcast or YouTube, so you can listen to more important conversations like this. And if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting. You can support the show at patreon.com slash Apologetics. Dr. Pryor, thank you so much for your time. Once again, really appreciate it. Thank you.